up, guys? Welcome back to the Vicious Cycle Podcast. This is your host, Kenton Gear. Uh, I just want to say thank you again to all our listeners. Uh, the support has been just overwhelming. Your messages have been fantastic. Uh, if you have something you want to say, you want to be on the show, uh, you agree or disagree with something that I or one of my guests are saying, uh, feel free to go on the Anchor app. There's an option right there to leave me a voice message, and we'd love to hear what you're saying. Uh, also, if you're enjoying the show, no matter what platform you're on, uh, please like or uh, favorite us. It would mean a lot to me. Uh, today, very special guest. We've got a uh, renowned uh, artist, Carrie Chen, and rock star fisherman. And uh, we're going to just go ahead and get right into it. So here we go. Aloha, Kenton. <laughs> Aloha. How are you? How are Can you, you hear Gary? me? Good. Yes, sir. Good. I'm uh, calling you from uh, Florida here. It's about 10 o'clock. How's the weather there? Oh, man, the weather's beautiful. We've got that uh, classic Kona, same, same every day, just about. It's about 88 degrees, no wind. (laughs) Yep, it's perfect here also. But, um, you know, we don't have as much uh, paradise like you do, you know, with all those mountains. We're all flat right here. (laughs) In West Palm Beach. Where, where are you in Florida right now? Uh, West Palm Beach. Oh, beautiful area. That's the home of all the sharks. We got too many sharks here. <laughs> we got a lot of sea. Is that out at sea? Is that out at sea or on land? Because I remember, what is it, Clematis Street? There is that right? No, we have um, Sailfish Marina, um, the, the oh, popular yeah. Sailfish Marina, and it, it's actually the closest uh, marina to the Gulf Stream. So anywhere you, when you come out of the um, the cut, in a quarter mile, you can be fishing for sailfish there. Yeah, the drop oh, off awesome. is right there, and if you look at a map of Florida, the Gulf Stream goes from um, you know south to north straight up, and and Florida curves a little bit when you go south, but Palm Beach is closest to the Gulf Stream, so that's why when you get out of the inlet here, you're you're in. In, in deep water right away, and you're fishing for sailfish not even a quarter mile away from the land. Oh, awesome. No, yeah. I, I, was say, I was saying about the sharks on land. I, I seem to recall in my youth there was a, a, a Clematis Street there. Am I yes. mistaken on that? Yeah, that's South Palm Beach. We have North Palm Beach, and we have South Palm Beach, and then we have Jupiter. Um, so we have a major, major shark problem in Jupiter. Um, we got a lot of um, shark feeders out here, uh, divers that um, feed the sharks, and they won't go away. They stay, they stay here. They don't migrate. Uh, it's been a problem for the fishermen because as soon as you get out there, um, you know you, you hook a fish, the, the sharks eat it, eat it right away, and um, so the fishermen are upset with the divers. They just want them to stop feeding the sharks, you know, because you know as as you start feeding the animal, it stays there and never goes away, you know? So that's the problem we're having right now. Very true. It's interesting. Uh, my last podcast actually just had a, a shark attack a survivor and someone that you know, Brett Jameson. Oh, yes, Brett. Yep, I fished Brett quite a few times, uh, White Marlin Open, great fisherman. And, uh, yeah, he can tell you the problems we have with sharks. Um, um, the biggest problem right now is a lot of people – um, yes, they are endangered through the whole world, but in certain areas like Florida, they're way overpopulated. 
and people don't realize it that you know they're looking at they're googling it they're looking at um discovery channel and they're going shark week oh yeah they're completely endangered i said nope they're not endangered they're we got too many of them here and they just need to be managed that's all you know um um the divers um do a lot of diving with these sharks and they make a lot of money so they're always for sharks you know the more sharks for them the better but the fishermen they don't like the sharks because they just eat all our our game fish you know uh tunas mahis wahoo bottom fish everything you know they just hang around and uh listen to the boats when the boats come around they just eat off your fish right there <laughs> do you you have any thoughts on why the population is so high in that area well they're completely protected because the um you know, everybody says they're they're um, endangered, but the, yes, they are endangered in certain areas of the world. But the whole East Coast, Florida, all the way up North Carolina, there's a major, major over, overpopulation of sharks. And um, you know, a lot of fishermen will tell you, yes, they are. We see them, but the the person. In the Midwest, that's looking on TV. They're going to say, "Well, it's endangered. No, they're apex predators. Uh, you know, leave them alone or whatever." But we got too many here. They're they're eating up all the game fish that we have here, and um, the fishermen are the charter boats are losing a lot of money. Um, we were in sailfish tournaments, and they just eat our sailfishes, and but people feel sorry for the sharks, and they go, "Well, what about our sailfish?" <laughs> you know. Yeah. What what do you, what do you think is a real world solution for that? Do you think we need to cull some on that side? Well, the problem is that um, people don't want to go on the news and say, "Let's thin them out" or "Let's let's let's open a season." Everything has a season, and everything has a balance. Like every single fish we have here has a balance, except for the sharks, and except for what they call a Goliath grouper. Uh, which was was endangered, but now they're you know overpopulated, and really it's just a federal law. And the problem is the the the, um, the people that are changing the law are in Washington and don't know anything about fishing. So here we are, the fishermen like saying, "Wait, there are too many of them." And the guy in Washington goes, "No, no, no, they're endangered." So you know we really need to have professional people managing these things, you know. I couldn't agree more. We deal with that in Hawaii on a regular basis that the people who make the final decision about the rules are so far away from the actual islands that it, it's almost crazy that they're the ones who make a decision based on our livelihood back here. So I, I can totally appreciate that. Yes. And all we really want to do is um, have the shark feeders stop feeding them. Because we have certain rules of animals here. You know, you're not allowed to feed um, alligators. You're not allowed to feed the wild birds here. You're not allowed to feed, allowed to feed manatees here. And why, why, do you, why can't you feed sharks? I mean, you should have the same ruling, you know. Um, I don't see any, any difference, you know. That, that's, it's interesting you would just say no feeding manatees. Like when I used to fish out of Florida, and this was many years ago, People actually used to leave hoses running for them. Is that illegal? Yes, it is. Um, what is happening um, when they get used to the human beings? 
they they come too close and what happens is they get run over by boats um yeah they they um they get too close to the human beings and and people just don't see them they they can't move fast so they they do get chopped up in the crop which is really sad i, I hate to see that you know uh really gent, gentle animals you know yeah that, that that's terrible yeah i i i remember thinking they were awesome creatures but See, it never even occurred to me. I, I just knew so many people that, like, they left these hoses out for the manatees to, to I guess, drink out of, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. And, and then, uh, you know, I, it, until you just said something, it never really even occurred to me that that was probably making the problem worse because it's kind of like the shark feeding thing, right? People love to see them in their own right, backyard exactly, or love to see that. Exactly. But they're actually making it worse. Well, the problem is they hang around. They don't migrate. Because as you know, like a wild animal, if you start feeding that wild animal at your house, it's going to keep coming there, right? It's not going to move out into the woods. It's going to come to your house all the time. Am I correct? Yeah, you're 100% correct. Without a doubt. I just, until you just said that, I had, I, I'll have to be admit, I was guilty. I had never even put two and two together with the, uh, with the manatees. I mean, the shark, yeah, that's a no-brainer for me. But I never even put the two and two together with the manatees, to be honest. So Yeah. I myself have been guilty of that without ever realizing it. Yeah, so it's just it's just in this area. It's amazing that it's just this area is happening, and and it's because we have so many um, um, divers that are they make the money diving with sharks, so they're going to protect the sharks with all their might. They're going to say, "Well, it's endangered," and when you look at their website, they're they're just covered up with sharks, and they're they're telling everybody they're endangered. You know, it's kind of like, um, you know, Shark Week when, you know, they <laughs> say, hey, you know, these are endangered. I said, well, you're making a lot of money from those shark movies, you know. <laughs> in the meantime, well, that's yeah. it. In the meantime, the fishermen is suffering because they're eating up all our game fish, you know. Um, you know, it's a double standard, you know. How, how far, and maybe you know this gentleman, there is a guy on Instagram who seems to hang a shark just about every day named Mark the Shark. Are you familiar with that guy? Yes. Oh, yeah. Very. I've known him for quite a long time. Um, you know, um, you love him or you hate him. Okay. The, um, we like him because he's thinning the sharks for us a little bit. Um, and, and mind you, there are some sharks that, that you shouldn't overfish, like the great hammerheads, the tigers. But we have the other ones like the, um, you know, the sandbars, the uh, bull sharks are really a big problem. And the, the black tips and the reef sharks. So they're very, very abundant. But I would say that the um, the big ones, you know, you leave them alone, big hammerhead sharks, tigers, all that stuff, you know, makos, you know, makos too. And um, just leave those alone and just get uh, thin out the other ones, you know. Um, there's got to be a balance, you know. So Martin Shark... People love him or hate him. Okay, they they like him because he's thinning out the sharks, but he he does he kills a lot of uh, billfish also <laughs> to sell. So you know a lot of sailfish. Well, I mean a lot. <laughs> In the old days, you know people didn't like that. You know so anyway. <laughs> I I I find him remarkably entertaining though. I, I will say this, and and so I'm a fan of him in that. Not necessarily the fact that he's killing sharks one after another, because that that, that point in my life is past. Like I I'm, I I purposely 
don't kill sharks anymore. But I'm not naive enough to say that I won't kill a shark again because, you know, sometimes you just accidentally have collateral damage. Yeah. But you know what I love about that guy? I love when he posts the videos of his customers and stuff throwing up. Like, he just doesn't seem to give a shit at all. I find myself dying laughing. So, so anyway, I just went on this, um, this girl's web page on Instagram. If you look at her page, Captain C A P T K R I S P. It's a girl. Just 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 recently, she um, caught a bull shark and she shot it. Which well, it, it's no different to me. I think than shooting, uh, you know, a, a deer or hunting because she's not. She's going to eat it. Right, she, she, you see her filleting it and everything, and we all harvest that. And she got hell. You would not believe there was over ten thousand comments. I think the PETA people got a hold of it and went on her page. And boy, you should see the comments. Oh my gosh, <laughs> you should see the comments. You gotta, you gotta look at that that page, Captain. Chris. I, I will, I will definitely check that out. You know, in Hawaii, it's been. There's almost no sharks killed in Hawaii at all. It's been like that for a very long time. Yeah. So I remember the last time someone did kill a shark. And um, part of that's because it, like the tiger shark in particular uh, is connected to uh, like what's called like an amakua or like the yes, spirit. Yes, it's basically yes, yes, like yes. a family member. No, no. And uh, I remember this gentleman killed a tiger shark. And there was people protesting behind his boat for like almost yeah, three yeah. weeks. It's a that, that, the tiger know? shark is a beautiful animal. That. That is um, something you don't want to kill too many of them, you know. But the, the other nuisance sharks are the smaller ones and the bull sharks. Those need to be managed. I don't want to say kill them, just managed, you know. Right. No, I, I, I agree. Um, it's interesting. We got straight into shark management right off the I bat know, there. Just, I'm talking I'm about sharks. About no, no, it, it's good. But I, 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 I want to introduce uh, I, I want to introduce you to the people for – what you're really renowned for, uh, Carrie, is, uh, I mean, you have gotten to become a, almost a household name in the fishing industry for your artwork. Can you can you give us a little background um, about where you're from and how you came from being? I mean, I'm assuming you started as a starving artist like most, and now well, you're everywhere. Yeah. How did that happen? Well, um, I. Um... Actually, I was born in in California, um, but all my family were from Jamaica, the island of Jamaica, where you have reggae and Bob Marley and everything. So that's my real, um, where I grew up. So what happened is my, my mother was, was going to college, had me in California, moved me back to Jamaica. So I really grew up in an um, island tradition. Um, that's why I got this accent, you know, and... Um, I uh, have an Asian heritage, but probably three de- three generations back. So I, I, I don't know anything about <laughs> Asian heritage. I'm a real island, well, a real island boy, you know, growing, growing up in Jamaica. And um, Jamaica is um, a very small island in the Caribbean, and it's probably about 120 miles long. And um, so I moved from Jamaica to Miami in the 70s. And I just went to school there, and I started um, fishing. I was into motorcycles before, but I started fishing. I I couldn't paint. I never painted. And I didn't know I had 
art talents. It's um, it was, I'm self-taught, um, so it was really I was really born with it. So I used to have some businesses, um, video business, you know, um, when they had those uh, blockbuster uh, stores. So I had those stores, and finally we got out of it. And I said, you know what, I gotta try something else. So I actually grew up with um, the gentleman Guy Harvey in Jamaica. Uh, he's he's from Jamaica also. So we both are. So we knew each other. And, um, you know, I, I said, well, I'm going to go paint fishes. And he started laughing. And I said, all right. <laughs> so I, I started painting and I got better and better and better. Next thing you know, you know, um, since I was a fisherman, I knew all the fishing people. So what they would do is invite me to all the fishing tournaments. I'd go to Puerto Rico and there would be 30 international anglers there and each one of those anglers invited me to their tournament so i i went through the whole caribbean i think in in like in the 90s i did probably 50 to 60 tournaments a year i lived out of a suitcase uh, i just went from island to island to island to island fished um i think one year i caught like 90 blue marlin just from island hopping <laughs> And um, really, I was just living the life, you know. Um, all my trips were paid for. All I did was paint and and give them, do some stuff for the tournaments and things like that. So it was, it was a great year, you know, great, great year. That that sounds like a dream. So how did you get to the next level? Because like today, now we see we there's big, beautiful murals you've done. I've seen your artwork on... Uh, shirts even beer cans how, how does that happen well you know i um i started off i didn't start off like everybody else where you did a lot of manufacturing i enjoyed my life so much that from the art really fishing i was a fisherman before i was an artist so i rather um travel fish make a living than become really wealthy and, and start doing merchandise so i did that in the early days I kind of refrain from that because um, I, I made a living just fishing and going to fishing tournaments, and that was my thing. So, you know, as time went along, you know, I got some partners, you know, I got all, had all these wealthy people coming, hey, let me, let me be a partner, let me be a partner, we'll, we'll do business. And then I had a friend of mine, really, really wealthy, let's do business, and it didn't work out, you know, for seven, seven years, he was doing something else and I couldn't get out of the, the, the thing. I had to take him to court and we fought, fought for many years. And I'm saying to myself, why, why did I do this? You know, um, I was living such a good life. And so I decided to wait a little bit. And then I just started going, getting back into it because I had over 2000 designs. Here's the best part. I, um, Every time I did a painting, a lot of artists, they do a painting and they give it away or they sell it and they never um, document it, meaning, meaning they never shoot it high res. So really, I shot every single up to 2000 paintings and I kept them on file. So really, that, that, that was my ammunition for my retirement, really, you know. So I finally got back into it, and um, I have a group of people that license out these images. And one of the big companies is Columbia Sportswear. We we just signed up, and and just the other day we signed up Anheuser Busch um, company 
um, the Bush family. Uh, we're going to do vodka, bourbon, all that stuff. So we're, we're, we're getting on track here and I'll be able to fish and my, my team will be able to just manage everything, which is great for me. Wow. That's fantastic. I, yeah. I, 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 I'm just, I gotta say, uh, of the people I've interviewed, I, I'm not going to lie. I'm a fan. I have been really impressed with your oh, artwork you for a much. long time ago. Thank you. I, I, I started following you. I, I have to laugh though a little bit. I had a couple of joking questions yes. about Guy Harvey. Yes. <laughs> and it turns out you actually know him. So maybe you can answer this and it wouldn't even be a joke. Yeah. Uh, who wins in an arm wrestling match? You or Guy Harvey? <laughs> well, you know, he started out really in the big field of, of, T-shirts, and that's how he got famous. And uh, T-shirts of Florida was the first people to start with his his um, shirts. And really, you know, it's branding. You know, you get a shirt out there, everybody sees it, sees the name, the name gets out there. And uh, he did become, you know, really commercial. And um, so he, he's living in Cayman Islands right now. Um, he's originally from Jamaica also. And, uh, you know, we grew up together. Um but um, he's on a different level now, you know. He's he's um, kind of more commercial. I'm more into the real fishing world, which is the you know the fishing tournaments. The um, um, I think he's gotten gotten into sharks too, also. So, so I'll, I'll always stay fishing. You know, fishing is my is my thing. You know, um, I won't go anywhere else. Well, I got to say, I mean, you look at your Instagram, you look at your Facebook, and uh, there is no doubt you are the real deal. I mean, honestly, people look and you look like the rock star of fishing. I mean, you've got a, <laughs> you go fishing on the, the East Coast, the West Coast. Yes. Can you, can you kind of tell us about, you know, I mean, you, you are fishing in what would be considered in the absolute upper echelon of fishing teams in the tournaments. How did that happen? Well, yeah, a lot of people ask me as well. How do you? How come you're fishing on these friggin', you know, these the, the the richest people in the world? And I said, well, I I fish with the richest people in the world, and I fish with the poorest people in the world. I, I can go from a the, the bad company one forty four to a kayak. I was in Panama the other day kayaking, trying to catch a marlin. So it don't matter to me, you know, fishing is fishing to me, and it don't matter who I'm fishing with, but. How I got into that um, high-end market is that I'm the artist for a lot of big high-end tournaments. So when I go to like uh, like a St. Thomas tournament and you got 60 of the richest sport fishing people there is, they all want me to go fishing. You know, I'm, I'm the feature artist there. So they all go, hey, come on, you fish with me. Hey, fish with me. So everywhere I go now, everybody, I get invites everywhere and, 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 and I take them on. You know, I go, hey, all right, I'm coming over to fish with you and and next thing you know, I'm fishing with the highest, biggest people there. And to me, I just enjoy everything. I, I'll go on a little small boat. I don't, I don't care as long as I hook up a nice marlin or something like that. I'm, I'm happy, you know. Um, but yeah, everybody's the same to me. <laughs> well, that's a sign of the real deal. So going back to your early roots, before you were on the like, before you were on the biggest and best game fishing boats in the world, like. Taking me back to Jamaica, what did the beginning of your fishing career look like? What did those boats look like? How did it start? Well, you know what? We have um, Jamaica is pretty uh, well off. You know, we, we we have very very poor and very very rich. So it's 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 there, there's two sides. You know, um, um, we had a fishing tournament called the Port Antonio 
fishing tournament, which is one of the oldest fishing tournaments in the world. So one of the oldest ones are is um how old is HIBT? Oh boy, about. it's in the thir- it's about thirty five, but they stalled it out last year, right, and right, right. I don't think it's happening this year either. Yeah. I think it's around thirty five years. So the, the 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 Port Antonio tournament is more than sixty years. So it, it is um, okay in Jamaica. We fish on the north coast, and we're, we're it's just like Hawaii. As you come out the cut, you're fishing in deep, deep water. And when you're fishing, you're fishing up along the Blue Mountains, which goes vertical right up. Not like Madeira, but, um, you know, almost, you know, beautiful mountains. And you're fishing right along the side and you're catching. We don't have a lot of big marlin, but there's a lot of small marlin, you know. The, um, average size is, you know, 200 to 250. And once once in a while you get a six five six hundred pounder, you know, but very rare. Um, but we do have a lot of those, um, and those are the same ones that travel through uh, Dominican Republic, um, Puerto Rico, um, you know, all those right along that coastline there. Let me let me ask you. And yeah. um, when you were growing up, did people keep and consume marlin? Like for for out here in Hawaii, that that, that that's something only in recent years has changed the catch and release. Like when I got here, we used to keep just about everything. Oh yeah. They, they killed. Yeah. We, we, you know, in my early days, yes, we, we did kill a lot of Marlin. And, um, I tell you what, it, it made a, it, it made a good thing because the people there are very, very, very poor. And let me tell you, they will eat everything except the bill, you know, <laughs> everything right. on that fish got consumed. I mean, there was a lot of, um, you know, small fish killed. I, you, you would see probably 30, 40 small ones in the 150 to 200 pound rings laying down. But when you think about it, the small ones are not as important as the big ones. And you and I know that, you know, uh, the big ones are the breeders. And that's what, those are the ones that, you know, are a little bit more important. So it might be be better off to you know to release the the breeders you know than um the smaller ones hey you know <laughs> gotta feed some people you know yeah well, hey i you you will see that i have no problem with killing marlin whatsoever I, yes. my, my biggest thing with with any of this stuff is i'm i'm very anti-waste you know and um i think our our thoughts change as we get older too and yeah. a, a, after we've been doing something for a while like in the beginning I was very concerned about killing like every big marlin, and yeah. now today, I really prefer not to kill a big marlin at all. Uh, the only time I will keep a big marlin these days, honestly, I mean, obviously in a tournament because I mean, yeah. I am sure. I am a killer. Let's, let's not kid it. Let's not kid anybody. Yeah. But you know, I, I mean, these days, if I catch one over five hundred or whatever, and I think it was going to swim away, I let them go. I mean, I, I'm yeah. at that point in my career where. I've caught a lot of big fish. I don't need to hang every fish, you know. Yeah, same here. Also, um, you know, as I go grow older and I've caught, I've killed a lot of fish. I, I actually want to release a lot more, and um, my goal is to. I haven't caught a grander yet. I'm, I'm close to 500 releases on on marlin already, but I haven't got a grander. And um, as you as you can see, I've been going to Madeira for the last several years, and where I've seen the biggest fish and. Most all the fish that we catch are over 500. And I would say we re- we release 95% of all the fish. Because one day, um, Frothy that I fish with, um, 
caught a 800 pound fish and it was deformed it didn't have a dorsal and um he released it and one more week later his son caught the same fish and after that i said you know what that's amazing two people got to enjoy the, the fish of a lifetime can you imagine that fish was caught like five or six times people just enjoy that so much you know just the fish of a lifetime just releasing it so i said you know what if i catch a grander i'm going to release it i'm just going to take a measurement of the girth and the length which we usually do at the side of the boat and just release the fish you know but on but on the same on the same note because i'm all about appreciating the experience on the same note uh if a fish came up dead you would have no moral oh no 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 i've I've actually had that happen quite a few times. I have brought in <clears throat> some dead fish, and um, yeah, you just eat it. it tastes pretty good it's to me. <laughs> oh, me too. I I I love eating them. Yeah. Um, you know, like I I I have no problem with it at all. But no. that's one thing I like to address, and I like to, and I've been liking to talk about on my podcast. Yeah. Because there's a huge double standard out there with uh, people that are just a hundred percent catch and release, with which I agree with. Yeah. But I see them chastising people that keep one to eat or they have one that fully knowing the story. So yeah. I to really kind of bring that up over and over again that, you know, yes, yeah. we'd like to see him swim away, but well, let's utilize it rather than waste it. Yeah, you know? no, no, no. I, I am. I am. I'm not against them killing it and eating it if they really enjoy that. But when you're. um when you're a big sportsman and you're all you're only going to catch fish for the enjoyment of it, then um, I would rather release it. But I'm I'm not against you know somebody killing it to eat it. You know, um, it's a good tasting fish, and um, but I would really encourage to release because you know what the the, the charter business is the one that will will lose lose if the if the decline of the billfish goes down. You know, um, if, I I agree. Yeah, if, if if all of a sudden the marlin fishing gets really really bad and people go, hey, I'm not going over there. It's not worth my time to go over there. You know, then you know it's the decline of the the charter business that's going to go downhill. You know, but I, I never want that to happen. I, I yeah, I 100 percent agree with that. I mean. Uh... Uh, uh, one thing podcast listeners will, will know, the big problem we're facing out in Hawaii right now is we have a huge problem with our striped marlin population. Um, now, the eastern Pacific stock, like you would see like when you're in Cabo and things like that, is doing remarkably well. And they've done some things that to protect that with the uh, where they push the, the boats, uh, you know, outside their EEZ and things like that. Yeah. But uh, well, our our. Our western stock striped marlin—they're um, in a lot of yes. trouble. They're—they're they're being severely overfished. Yeah, I, and, I, don't, um, I don't. That's see, something I'm really trying to work. Yeah, with. I don't see any striped marlin in your end there. But as you saw one of my stories, maybe I can tell your—you know—your podcast members here that um, we had the most incredible striped marlin um, week anybody could ever experience. And people are going to go, no way. I said, well, we caught 330. We released 330 striped marlin in seven hours in Mag, Mag Bay on the bad company. And you saw that, right? I saw that. Yeah, no. Uh, please tell, tell the people all about that because 
Uh, and I'd like to highlight that that is a different stock of striped marlin than the ones oh, we yes. have around Hawaii. It's and a they're big, not small. They're, different biomass. They're not small. They were um, in the in the one fifty range, one hundred twenty to one hundred fifty to to two hundred pound range. Um, so we went to um, Mag Bay on the Bad Company, which is a one forty four, the largest sport fishing boat ever built, um, and we had another. Sport boat with us his, his 90 foot um oh I'm, I'm bad with the boat names but anyway it's it's a california style boat where you you fish from the bow with with the um, live baits um i forgot is it a howl no no anyway I'll, I'll i'll figure it out later on anyway so we had the two boats and we were with captain steve lastly which is a well-known captain legend very legendary, one of the best captains I've, I, you know, I've fished with, and he's been with the bad company for many, many years. And um, so, anyway, we we get, I fly into Mag Bay. They pick us up at this dock. There's no docks there. Mag Bay is in the Baja Peninsula of Cabo, so we're about almost 150, 160 miles north of Cabo, Magdalena Bay. So anyway, we, we we anchor up and the crew starts. We have about 15 crew and they start catching baits all night long. So, you know, it was nine anglers. So we caught so many baits. Uh, it was incredible. I've never seen so much bait. Um, it was what, what you, those mackerel. What, was it, what do we call those? Yeah. Like, yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. Can I hear? Yeah. Can you hear me? A little bit of a disconnect for an issue there. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yes. Can, can you hear me? Can you? Can, yeah, I can hear you. Yeah. So we, you had just anchored up at the bay is when you got disconnected. Yeah. So we just anchored up in the bay. And so the crew started catching baits and we decided to go to bed because we got to get up early. So all night, the crew caught so much bait. So we, we get out in the 90-footer, and Steve um, uses binoculars and sights all these um, frigates um, coming down on the school of um, uh, bait balls. So we all get ready on the bow with our live baits. As soon as we hit the, the, the um, bait ball, we cast out to the bait ball. So I'm a Florida boy. I'm used to casting with spinning reels so the california boys are using um, conventional to cast so far so i'm not the best at that so, you know i'm not used to that stuff so they're, they're masters at it so i, I kind of started practicing up a little bit and um i can't cast as far as they can but so as they hit the water everybody's hooked up nine fish at the same time and what happened is um People say, well, how can you release 330 in seven hours as well? We had some fish would be hooked for 15 seconds and they'd wind really fast and they grab the leader. And then here's how they did it. They did about 100 feet of 60 pound leader. And at the end, a short leader of 40 pound test with, a, with circle hook. So that when you grab the 60 pound, you can break off the 40 pound easier. Right, and the the circle hooks that we were using are very thin, so they'll they'll uh, dissolve after a while. 
So anyway, every time we, we found a bait ball, we'd cast and all everybody be hooked up. Nine nine people at one time. And some people would release them in 15, 20 seconds. And then all of a sudden, some people would just, they would take off. So you had to go to the back of the boat to um, to fight the fish. And, and was it? And was it basic? Would you have other followers? So it was like as soon as one guy would hook up, if he got his bait right back in, he'd be right back yes, on. Yes, yes. So we had the business guy in the boat was a guy re-rigging everything. There was a, there was a couple guys there re-rigging everything, and they had over a hundred different reels. So every time you picked up one, it was a different reel. So you had to get kind of used to it, you know. Um, and um, it was pretty light tackle, I would say, but. Um, uh, we had an IGFA rep on board so to make sure that you know it uh, was a legal release. So a lot of people doubted us, but we had um, our IGFA guy there on board. And um, it, you know, for those for those that are listening that don't know, can you can you explain to me what an IGFA rep is? Uh, well, it's International Game Fish Association. He's like a judge, and he. Um, he will tell you whether you release the fish legally or not um, as far as, um, you know, the leader touching the tip of the rod. That is a legal release. And, um, yeah, that's about it, you know. He, and sometimes he would help and grab the leader and break it. So um, a lot of people don't like when you break off leaders, but this was um, – these are very short leaders, um, not even a, less than a foot. And forty pound test plus the very thin circle hook, which which will dissolve in a while. So, so uh, I, I'm sure all those those fish will be will be okay. You know, uh, I I was gonna say honestly, in my opinion, that is better to leave a little bit of hook and a little bit of leader with yeah. a fish than go through the trauma of trying right, to get a hook correct. out of them. I think they do a lot better with, yeah. yeah. I think they do a lot better with le- less handling personally. Correct. correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Plus you wouldn't have enough time to do that anyway, you know, uh, but, oh, de- but um, here's something. Okay. In six hours, we had about 200 fish released and we ran out of bait. Wow. Totally ran out of bait. So we had to run back to the, the mothership and reload with bait. And um, then we got back and we got the other the 130 fish within the seven months. That is in, that's incredible. Was there any live chumming? No, no, no chumming. No chumming. It's just live bait. What, no, no you just look for the bait ball. Everybody's up front um, and just cast, cast to the uh, bait ball. But it, now, but the fishery is unbelievable. is unbelievable. There, there's so much striped marlin. There is unbelievable. Would you say one of the reasons that the fishery still remains that well is because they've actually done a really good job of protecting it? I would say there, this this place is far away from civilization. You're talking about you know a desert. It's it's the Baja of California. And there's no hotels, there's no fishing fleets, there's no marinas, there's no nothing really there. And 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 I've never seen so much bait ever, ever, anywhere in the world. I mean, and I think that's why they come through there because the bait, there's so much bait there, they just congregate there to feed. And you wouldn't believe this, out of the 
okay, so as in four days we released nine hundred striped marlin, and you wouldn't wow. believe how much we lost. We lost probably another three hundred or more. But um, what happened is our tackle got destroyed. It really got destroyed. I mean, we lost so many fish. But um, you wouldn't believe, other than 900 striped marlin that we caught, we only got two sailfish and about three mahi. <laughs> I was just going to ask you do, you, do you see in all that bait, do you see other marlin and tunas? Like, do you see big tunas nope, there? Nope, nothing is weird. That was the, weird, the weirdest thing. There was only striped marlin there. And um, seals, oh, a lot of seals. So I did hook a seal, and, to, to tell you the truth, and I felt really bad. <laughs> but I, I got the hook out of him. Well, that's yeah. good. Uh, how do they fight? They jump like a marlin. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody was trying to take pictures. I go, no, don't take any pictures. I feel sorry for the seal. But um, he was all right. Yeah, that's, pro- that's, probably, that's probably not the photo you want to no, post. No, definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. No. But... um. Other than that, it was it's just amazing how much um, billfish were there, you know. Actually, there was no blue marlin, no stripe. It was only striped marlin. Incredible. Incredible. How, how many birds would you say are on these bird piles? Are they massive bird piles yeah, or just uh, a couple it's, birds? You, 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 know, you know, you're talking about, you know, 20 of them at a time, you know, uh, on, on a pile. Wow. And, um, now, yeah. Amazing. What? Okay, so the day you had 330, yes. were the fish evenly dispersed between the anglers, or was there like one standout angler yes, that just was you know, on fire? Anthony, who owns the boat, he's he's really a good angler, and he had a couple California guys with him um, that were really good. And I, I tell you what, I I caught probably 120, but I sucked because <laughs> I was good at the um, conventional casting. Those guys can cast so far with the con- conventional. I-, I could only cast probably halfway <laughs> what they did, you know, which is um, a big wow. advantage to doing that. So I kind of was in the background a little bit waiting for my turn, you know, um, but it was pretty, pretty unbelievable. You know? It sounds absolutely incredible. Yeah, I, I, I follow and friends with Anthony as well. Uh, his program is called Bad Company. Those guys yeah. just do some incredible stuff. Yeah. Uh, you had briefly touched upon Steve. Steve is a very well-known uh, fisherman uh, in our industry. That guy has just about caught everything, as far as I can tell. Well, well, well another trip that we went to recently in Cabo, uh, Anthony had his uh, the 90-footer there. And um, he said, hey, let's go over for two days. And fish Cabo, you know, I said, all right, it was a really quick trip. And I go, you know what, I'm going to do it because, so I flew all the way from Florida to, to California. Then we flew across in in Anthony's jet and we got on the boat and we started catching um, skipjacks, big skipjacks. And I'll tell you what, there was about 25, 30 boats around us. We hooked Four of the biggest black marlin I've ever seen. We were the only wow. boats that hooked black marlin out of all those boats right right in front of us. I'm like, wow. So I, I watched Steve, and he has this technique. They got that side sonar on the boats, right? 
And um, yep. he's watching that side sonar all the time. And he'll tell you, hey, there's a, there's a pod right here. There's some bait right here. And, and we cut, cut to the right. And he says, drop it now, drop it now. So you have to be right on cue to catch that skipjack because that's important to catching that, that black marlin. And so as soon as they catch it, that thing is out there, you know, rigged up and out there. I can remember the first day we went there, he catches a big uh, um, skippy. He, the mate rigs it up and throws it out. And as soon as it hits the water, a big, about a 600-pound black was waiting under the boat, grabbed it out of Anthony's hand and almost burned off his finger. And I got a video of it. And the thing took off. And I guess he was so surprised he didn't set up in time and we missed that fish. But the fish came out of the water like crazy. Wow, man, that sounds incredible. Yeah. What an awesome spot. Yeah. So, um, well, you know, and I'm, and I'm, I'm sure part of that, I'm not even sure part of it. Most of that has to do with the fact that those guys have worked together, that they're such a cohesive team and that, you know, like, like I think a lot of times people don't understand, like you hear those numbers, like, you know, you had 330 that day or you had, or you had, uh, you know, four blacks on that one day. What people don't understand is how much time behind the scenes these guys have put in together to make those days a reality. Yes. Yes. Um, what I realized from watching, um, you know, Steve, how he works things, he's, he's always on that screen and he's always watching. And the moment he sees something, he goes, here, right there to the right. He turns the boat to the right. And, well, people say it's cheating, but, you know, he's got that side sonar, which is, um, hey, we're not in a tournament. We're just fun fishing. You know, we just want to catch fish for fun. So, um, the side sonar is the thing of the future, I think, you know? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, as a commercial tuna fisherman, I, I have one. I mean, I, you know, I've like, I'm a commercial fisherman, but I've got my, my side scan sonar so dialed in. I don't have a, uh, Omni, like a lot of these guys, but I have like a 500 series, yeah. which, so mine goes back and forth, but I can mark, even with mine, I can mark a Marlin, you know, 800,000 feet away, turn right and drive over it. I've gotten really good at it myself. So right. I mean, they're definitely an advantage, yeah. you know, no doubt. It is, and uh, but they're pretty expensive. I don't. They were. Uh, I, I think they're like in the hundred grand range or more than that, right? <laughs> the the omnis are like kind of the system I have is around when everything's said and done is kind of like in that twenty eight thousand yeah, dollar range. Yeah. But you got, but they would be in the next. They're 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 in the omni sonar, which basically means that they have a three sixty pitcher all around. Right. And that is just such an incredible piece of machinery. Yeah, yeah. I, I would love to have one of those. I can't say that my fishery necessarily justifies the cost yeah. because I, I, I'm very proficient with what I have already. Right, right. But they are an awesome machine. Yes. And I think in the future, they're going to go way down too. I think, you know, usually when these things first come out, they're really high. And then next thing you know, they're half the price, you know. I would agree. You know, that, that, that's what happened with bird radar too. Like, you know, the big radars. Yeah. They were a hundred thousand dollars, and now you can get a good bird radar for you know twelve, fifteen thousand dollars. So all that stuff comes down eventually. Exactly. So, so um, yeah, I um, going back to the art part. Um, really, how I get my um, uh, studies is from seeing things close up, the colors of fish before they fade away, 
you know. So when I, you know, when I see a marlin right up by the boat, it's all lit up. That's that's what I paint because that's that to me is like the most exciting thing to a fisherman, you know. Uh, when it, the is, purples and everything lit up. Is most of that from memory, or do you take photos as no, well it's to all capture memory. that so, moment? So I don't mean to brag, but I don't even look at a picture. Any pelagic species I, I paint, I know every single part of the anatomy of a fish. A mahi, a tuna, a marlin, you name it. Black marlin, striped marlin, sailfish, spearfish, everything. I know it like the back of my hand. I mean, I've just done so that. many paintings. I've seen so much fish. Uh, I just I just have a gift that it's stuck in my head, you know? My God, that is so incredible. I had wondered about that. I had seen that some other artists, uh, they project like a photo, like kind of on the wall and then paint it. Yeah, I don't so, so, yeah, um, yeah, I don't, well, you know what? It, it's good and everything, but I am just a natural, it's everything is in my head. And I'm like a anatomy person that just, it, it, I, I look at the, I study the fish. When I see it close up, when a tuna comes in, I study every single part of that tuna, um, every slit, every eyeball, every every fin, everything, and um, it's just stuck in my head, you know. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, that is truly amazing. That that would you say that you trained yourself that way from repetition, or you always had that natural gift? Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, I think I trained myself. I never had any lessons. Um, um, a lot of things, it's like singing, you know. Um, you could be, you ha- you could take all the lessons in the world. If you're not born with that talent to sing, then, you know, <laughs> it's the same thing with the p- painting, you know. You, um, you don't have to take lessons if you're, you're born with it, you know. It, it's something that's just like exercise the more you do the better you get that's how i see that makes sense yeah and um so as far as big murals you know i've done giant on the great taxidermy here in florida i had i did a 30 foot wall and the guy said to me how are you going to paint this thing with the dimensions and i I was thinking about these you know those grids you know like a like a tic-tac-toe grid where you measure all that stuff and I go, you know, that's too much for me. I'm just going to use a big one of those big, um, um, what do you call it? The the, um, the thing that, you, the motor that goes up and down and, and gets you up in there. Anyway, I get one of those big wheel things. And I go back and forth and just look at the dimensions. And I got it perfectly right. That is absolutely incredible. Now, I've seen the mural that you're talking about. And it's absolutely beautiful. So, yeah. Congratulations again on that. I Thank mean, that's you. That's just incredible. Thank you. And you can see on, on my uh, Instagram page is Kerry Chen Art, C A R E Y C H E N A R T. Yeah, and we'll definitely have you plug that again at at, at the very end. I'm going to ask you to tell you tell the folks where they can find um, where they can find every way to contact you. Uh, I've got a few more questions for you though. If you've got if yeah, you've got sure. some time for me, um, now. It probably is an obvious answer, but sometimes you get surprised with these things. What is your favorite thing to paint? Like, I, I know that you make a business from the fish, but is, is that your favorite thing to paint? Um, yes. Um, yeah, of course, billfish, you know, is my favorite thing. But um, 
the ones that take me a lot longer are um, bottom fish that um, snappers and and um, what we call here snook and redfish and and anything with scales because you know the scales take a long time. You know, yeah, each one has to be you know like a diamond and in, in, in sync. You know, everything has to be in sync. So that one, those take me a lot longer, but I still enjoy doing them. You know, um, um, I, I do a lot of reef reef paintings and uh, almost everything really i can actually paint anything in there is in wildlife but my favorite thing is the ocean it's got to be the ocean for me that's my favorite thing awesome have you ever found yourself in the situation where you're painting a naked woman you know what that's how i started first (laughs) i did a couple nudes my friends hey do a couple nudes so i did i did that hung it on the wall i go hmm it's okay. I'll, I'll stick to fish then. <laughs> yeah, but um, you know, be a be a fisherman. You just want to, you know, paint fish. You know. I understand. How about this? Favorite fish to catch, and favorite fish to catch uh, to eat. Sorry, favorite fish to catch and favorite oh, to fish eat. to eat. Wow. Oh my God! There's so much species. Um, I, I love bottom fishing too. You know. Um, you know, snappers are some of my favorite. And then, of course, Wahoo, Sashimi Wahoo is, is, is really great. Um, I like tuna, but I'm, I, I eat so much tuna. <laughs> After a while, you get kind of, you know, hey, what's the next? What's next, you know? Um, but snapper, I, I, I like snapper and bottom fish and grouper, you know, things like that. What about, and I'm assuming it's a marlin, but uh, what is your favorite fish to catch? Particularly what species? Yeah, definitely blue marlin. Definitely blue marlin. I mean, there's no fight like a blue marlin. Um, you know, my favorite thing is uh, what they call pitch, you know, pitch baiting, which is, you know, we, we, you know, we have a bait ready and we got lures without hooks. And, and when the marlin com- comes up on the lure, we pull in the lure and I throw back the bait, which is, I think, to me, the most sporting thing. Um I did so many years of just, you know, lures, and then when the fish grabs it, it the rod bends over, and you pick it up and, and sit in the chair. That's That, to me, got a little bit boring. Um, but I think it's, you know, when you do the skill thing where you pitch to the uh, marlin, uh, it's kind of like fly fishing. You know, you, 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 you see the fish, and you point at it, and you cast to it, and it bites it. So... You're doing all that stuff here, and it's way more exciting than, to me, than hitting a lure and a rod bending over. I agree. I'm a bait and switch man myself. I I love that. Yes. Um, of all the fish you've caught, what fish are you most proud of? Uh, you know, I've caught some big um, tunas, big you know, over two hundred pounds. And, um, you know, that's a big thing to me. And then uh, just recently, I, I was in Costa Rica. I, I've been to Costa Rica the last about three times in two months now. I just, I was supposed to go go tomorrow. And I said, you know what, I got some work to do. And um, those are the pelagic boys. And I actually caught a big rooster fish, which was um, very exciting to me. And then a month ago, I had a challenge. Somebody in Panama says to me, listen, we got this remote place called Los Buzos and it's we're in the jungles 
and we want you to go on a kayak and try and catch a black marlin. I go, what? I go, wow. I said, all right, you know what? I'm getting a little old, but you know what? It's a challenge. I'm going to try it. So I, I get down to Panama, and I've been in a few kayaks. It's the one you pedal with your feet, right? But I'm not used to fishing for big fish in a kayak. So if you pull, get pulled from the side, you're going over with the rod, right? So I had to learn that when you hook a big fish, you got to put it to the bow and make sure you fight it from the bow or you're going to get turned right over. So when I went there, we were we were pedaling for 10 hours a day. That's like being on a treadmill for 10 hours a day in the sun, 10 hours a day, five days a week. And it was very uh, interesting because there was nothing around. There was the most pristine ocean you ever seen in your life. Um, we had, one time I saw some bubbles. And I'm looking down, I'm looking, what the hell was that? <laughs> I was coming up, coming up, it was a, it was a sperm whale right below me. I thought it was going to throw me in the air or something like that, but um, pretty neat. And then we were catching these big rooster fish and kubera snappers in 15 feet of water on these little small kayaks. I didn't get um, a black marlin that time, but um, we caught a lot of yellowfin tunas on, on the uh, kayaks. Wow, that sounds incredible. That sounds like an adventure. What was it like with that sperm whale coming up? It just kept going by, or did you do a, more than one pass, or it was just a one, pass? What's that, the whale? Yeah, the sperm whale. Yeah, what was that it like? just, you know, it actually looked at me. I saw his eye, and uh, it just went went ahead. Good thing it didn't come right up, but it just looked at me. I'm, I'm right on the water, looking at it right in his eye, and he just went straight ahead and just came out of the water. <laughs> It's pretty incredible. I had my GoPro, you know, on on your helmet, and the battery went out. And I said, no, "I can't believe I didn't get that shot." That was amazing. Well, I can believe that because I run GoPros all the time, and the amount of times yeah. that my GoPros have died at the moment you want them to be running is absolutely fucking ridiculous. Yes. Like so, so many times. So I have a funny funny thing that happened to me right there so i have my iphone in this waterproof thing here wallet right and one of the guys beside me caught a big um rooster fish i'm talking about 70 pounds or more on the kayak he's he's hooked up and uh, my gopro goes out so i pull out my iphone i said you know what i'm not supposed to use my iphone uh, because you know i might get wet or whatever so i started filming him and i wasn't paying attention and a wave came from the side and turned me over with my iPhone. And the rod, the rods flew out of the um, kayak. I had a bait. I had on the, a live bait on the on the, one of the rods. So I lost two rods. And then the guys in the panga come beside me and said, hey, um, let me try and turn you over. So give me the rod. So I, I gave him the rod. And he's hand-lining it. And he goes... You got a big fish on here. I go, what? So they're trying to turn me over in the kayak. <laughs> so I turned back over, but I was freaking out because my phone got in the water. So I threw it in the panga. And all of a sudden, the line gets wrapped up in the prop. So he says, I got to cut it. So he cuts it. I said, retie it back. So I get back in the kayak and he reties it and gives it to me. Uh, so I started fighting the fish, and right at the end was a big Kubera snapper that I pulled in. 
<laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that was a that was a good pun. Did you guys end up keeping that? I love eating those. Did they well, eat them down? That one was a big one, so we, we let it go. The, the bigger ones don't taste as good. What kind of snap do you what kind of snappers do you have there? I'm I'm not I'm not familiar with the snappers that you have there. Well, well, we have a few different deep water species, but I was thinking more back to my time around Costa Rica that we would we would go and drop deep sometimes and catch a cubera and or something like that. But like even like you said, we didn't typically keep the really big ones, yeah. Yeah. So Oh, there was, but, uh, there was something that happened a few weeks ago. I was in Costa Rica, in Capos. And um, I'll tell you what, the, the ecosystem in Costa Rica is getting better and better and better. And I'll tell you why. Um, they regained back 30 more percent of their forest. They started planting back the forest. And people really need to notice that, you know, the land is connected to the water. And the healthier the land is, the water becomes healthier also. Because we started seeing, we went out and we saw so many, probably 10,000 porpoises and bait. Wow. So I kept saying to myself, wow, there's too many porpoises in this ocean. It needs thinning. But you never say thin the porpoises, you know, because nobody wants to ever see that, right? So all of a sudden, these porpoises started jumping and getting up and, and just taking off. And I said, what the hell is that? And that, I wonder if that's sharks. I don't think there's any sharks here. And all of a sudden, there was a pod of about 20 killer whales chasing the porpoises. So we, had, we pulled in all the lines and started watching. And we saw them corral those dolphins. And there was babies. There was about five, six little babies, orcas. And the mama would whack the dolphin. I mean, people don't want to see, see that. But anyway, the baby would come in and eat the dolphin. It was amazing, Sounds pretty incredible. Amazing, it's just Mother Nature. Amazing. First time I've ever seen that. So that is really cool. That, that cool. that's the second place I actually ever saw uh, killer whales. I never saw anything like that. I never saw them chasing the uh, the porpoise. But one time on a game boat, it was uh, called the Game On. It was like the when, when yeah. the seventy four Viking convertibles first came out. Yeah, I don't know when when that was. Maybe around 05 or something like yeah. that. Does that sound about right? And uh, we had all of a sudden we were fishing one day and. And uh, look back in the wake, and the wake was just full of killer whales. Uh, and that was the first time. It's the only. It was the first time I ever saw them in the tropics. I'd only ever seen them up in New England one other time, but and it just blew me away. I was like, I had to look it up. I go, I had, I really had no idea that there was false, uh, that there was killer whales down there. I had no idea. Me neither. And I remember that was just incredible. Me neither. And um, I've been fishing yeah. Costa Rica more than thirty years, and I've never seen that before. Never. That must have been wild to see that with the dolphins. Were, were, were there tunas in with the dolphins? Or yes, the dolphins yes. were just in there, a panic there, state? Yes, there was. To me, I, got, I, I love a balance in the ocean. I know, I know people love porpoises and everything, and I don't want to say anything, but Mother Nature has to, to have a balance. And those orcas were doing their balance there. There was too, so much porpoises. I would say there was about 10,000 porpoises. And I said to myself, how can the ocean sustain that kind of. You know, they're eating, eating up all the bait and everything. There's got to be a balance, kind of. You, you understand what I mean, so, You know? I I do. That sounds like you found, what do they call it? They call it like a megapod or something, or a superpod or something. Yeah, they like were spinner, beard, right? spinner porpoises. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. But that was incredible, yeah. Um, a little bit of Mother Nature. Well, that might answer one of my other questions I had for you. What is the most beautiful thing you've ever seen on the ocean? 
Wow. That's 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 a tough one too. Um that I would say that was one of them. But it's hard to beat a blue marlin, you know. Um um when a blue marlin comes in into your teaser, a big one, and it's all lit up, you know. Um I would say also the Magby um, you know, trip where you see so many striped marlin just balling the bait. You see about probably 30, 40 of them below the bait ball, and they're right below you. They're swimming around like mahis, and they're all lit up, lit electric blue, every one of them. You know, when you see th- 30 of them together, that's amazing. That's amazing. That is amazing. Have have you done um have you done any of the fad fishing outside of Costa Rica since that's become trend? Have you gotten in on any of that action? Uh, no, you know, most of the time I I'm I've fished the tournaments and I haven't had a chance to go to the fads. But I think I will be um next month I'll be going back down and go <clears throat> going on the fads. But but I've always fished the Los Suenas tournament. Ever, ever had any success in that one? Yes, actually, I fished with the Uno Mas, um, that seventy-seven Willis, and we actually won it uh, three years ago. And awesome. and how how we won it was um, the last five minutes, we were third place, <clears throat> and um, I had the last last bite. And it was a striped marlin, the only striped marlin of the whole tournament. And then when we got that fish release, we we, we jumped up in second place. And then the, when we got back in, we were in second place. But the first place got disqualified because they were did something wrong. And then we became, we came first. <laughs> that 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 that's always interesting when that happens. Yes. Like I, I've had. Uh... I've had a story like that myself where we came in thinking we didn't win any money. And then uh, I'm not going to drop any names here, but then we found out that people didn't actually get the release. Like they said on the radio, like uh, the tournament I was in, you had to have photos. Yeah. So we thought we weren't in any money and we didn't go to like, uh, I had something going on with my kids, you know, and uh, I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to be like, I, I wasn't going to go to the, uh, the award ceremonies. Not because I wasn't being a poor sport because I like, had to take care of my kids. And then I got a call and they're like, where are you? And I'm like, what do you mean? And they're like, we won money. I'm like, what are you talking about? And so <laughs> sure enough, I ended up running back and bringing the kids with us. But uh, yeah, we ended up, we ended up, and then cause we were in these side bets and stuff, we ended up actually, we got second place, yeah. but we actually got more money than the first place wow. people. And we didn't, we didn't think we had let won anything. So it was, that was pretty crazy. I've experienced that myself, wow. but not first, but I've gotten second before. When we didn't even think we had any money. Yeah. So one of the biggest tournaments that I've um, probably won, not the big money, but was the White Marlin Open, which is the largest tournament in the world. Um, I think they had like four hundred and fifty boats, and the prize was seven seven point five million dollars. But they only give that they give that for the biggest white marlin caught there. They got to bring that in. But we won the most releases, which is. To them, it's chump change. It was like a hundred and fifty thousand dollars or whatever. Uh, just about pay for the gas on the boat, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've heard some people say though, like you know, Brett, who was on here, he has won the White Marlin Open, and he is more proud of winning the most releases than he is Actually, the one big one because he 
what a coincidence. Yes, that was it. I was that's the time I fished with Brett. We won the most releases right there. That was it. I sent you a picture. I think I, I think I posted the picture on your um, Facebook page of me and Brett, oh, me oh, and Brett oh. and the whole team. Oh, I'll have to double check that. I don't know that I don't know that I saw that picture you posted, but yeah, he you know, he 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 considers that because of how competitive the field is. He can he considers that a bigger accomplishment than winning the money because you know he he feels like you know one big fish you can get lucky on that but to actually boats. catch the most fish yes, four hundred sixty boats out of four hundred sixty boats that we we won that 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 that's incredible that is an incredible feeling I've only fished the White Marlin Open myself one time and um uh, that was with brett we were on a boat called the uh dac yeah. i i just i i flew in for that and um I, now i can't remember now, I, now, now, my, now my mind's we almost won the big six million dollar one also i don't know if he told you that one i think brett was there also i'll tell you what happened we we um you're supposed to have a, a white marlin that's 70 pounds and weighs, um, the length is, um, I forget what it was. Anyway, so we got one that was about 70 pounds, and we gaffed, the, the guys gaffed it, which they shouldn't have gaffed it. It was a half, almost half dead. <laughs> and when it got in the boat, it started bleeding. So by the time we got to the dock to wait, it, it had lost a pound. And... And the guy who won the tournament, no, uh, was in the lead. Was had a ninety-something pounder, and he lost because they 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 um, refused the lie detector test. You remember that one? The lie. You detector. know, I, I I wasn't there for that. But anytime you refuse a lie detector test, it brings up some questions. No, sorry, they um they failed it. The whole crew. Oh, failed it. The whole crew failed it. Right. Something was got wrong. It. That was. Got it. I, I think I was there for that yes. one. Something like, so, uh, yeah, so, something was brought up over the timesheet, right? Like so, maybe the fish was caught early or something like that. Yeah. So when when they just got disqualified, our fish was the was the next biggest fish, but we had lost a pound <laughs> because we had gaffed it. And and so did that put you just under the minimum weight then? Yeah, just it just it just we lost that big uh, six million dollars or whatever it was. Oh my god! Yeah, and and for the people who don't know this at home, there's also and maybe you can explain this better. There there's a like a tie goes to runner, right? Like if you guys have the equal weight fish, the one that's not gaffed wins automatically. That's correct. Is that correct? That is correct. That's correct. Yes. That's correct. What happens if they're the exact same weight and they're both not gaffed? What happens then? Well, I don't think they've ever had that yet. <laughs> I think they might have to split the uh, money. But I was going to say, I probably, shouldn't, I probably shouldn't have just mentioned that because that's probably what will happen now. <laughs> well, th- this is what happened. When when the, um, nobody won the um, the most, the biggest marlin, it got, the tunas got millions of dollars. It probably got over a million dollars. And, and and it went to the blue marlin. It's really a white marlin tournament. <clears throat> so a lot of people are not into the you know they don't want to kill the fish. But what happened is the biggest white marlin gets killed over a certain pound, certain amount of pounds. But 
the rest get released. You're talking about 1,500 fish getting released, but one or two getting killed to, to get weighed, which is which is good. You know, not too good. You know, it's not too bad. You know, yeah. you're not killing a lot. Not bad of fish. at all. Yeah, no, that's that's a really good percentage wise, really. Yeah. So, and and the amount of people that it brings to millions of people to that tournament, uh, the amount of money that that Ocean City makes is unbelievable from that tournament. No, it's 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 crazy. Like when I've been there, that sleepy little town that it becomes its own little city right there. Yep, yep. And the tourists they like mm-hmm. to come and see something being weighed, also, you know. Yeah, it's an amazing scene. I don't know how, what it would be like with COVID, but I'm, I mean, I remember on our even on our off days when we got done, you know, when we got done rigging baits and making sure the boat was right, it's quite the scene just to even watch other guys, you know, if, if, it, if it's a bye day, it's quite the scene just to go down there and there's all these chicks hanging out drinking and like, honestly, it's an awesome vibe. It's one big party. I've never seen so many boats. That's got to be a world record for the most fuel ever because... You're talking about almost, <laughs> seriously about at least 460 boats running out 100 miles and 100 miles back, plus trolling all day. It, can you imagine how much fuel is being burnt there? Um, amazing. Well, it would be some, and some of those boats you're talking about are burning ungodly amounts of fuel an hour too. Like some, I, I remember there was one boat there, and I remember they were telling me they were bur- they burned like 250 gallons an hour when they were running. Something wow. insane. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how they. Um, I, I tell you what, there's there's some sick money there. I mean, you you look at it, each boat on that dock. There's no small boats. They're all big. No, boats. 460 boats. You, uh, what, you, what is the name? I'm, try, yeah. I, I'm trying to think. And this is a great example of that of that place. And and anyone that's over there right now is going to be just cringing that I can't think of it right now. What is that bar that has the contest for the biggest bar tab oh. of the week? Do you remember that? Oh, Sunset. Sunset Bar. Um, Yeah. It's at Sunset Marina right there. So the, the guys I fish with, uh, Brett and I fish with, the Bar South. This last time he oh, wanted to beat teasers. Yeah, teasers. He wanted to beat the biggest bar tab, and what he did was <laughs> this is so funny. The, the other boat was going in deep. He has the biggest bar tab there. You're talking about, I don't know, probably a hundred thousand dollars or something like that, or whatever. But anyway, he he wanted oh to beat that bar tab, so he went to the bar and says, "Hey, can I see their bar tab?" And he would buy their bar tab. <laughs> so he, you know, he'd leave oh. leave the tab there, and then he'd say, "I'll buy the bar tab." And then one day, oh my god, we're on the boat, and all of a sudden, I see the all these people carting down these Tito cartons. I'm like, "What's that? What's that?" He says, "I bought all the boats Tito's. Every single boat has Tito's on the dock. <laughs> that was part of the bar tab." <laughs> That was crazy. That's there's some sick yeah. sick money there. What 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 ended up? Did he end up winning the tab? Uh no. You uh, realized he... that he couldn't. I see. He backed off. He said, "All right, well, I can't beat him." So uh, I think going in deep has that tab. Wait. So even after spending like a hundred k, he couldn't beat the other guy's bar tab. Yeah. He no. He didn't spend the but going in deep, probably uh, close to that. 
That's incredible. And what do they get for this achievement? They get their name just yeah, on like a trophy a or something, name, yeah. right? Just a name. But, you know, going in deep has won a lot of money. So to him, that's nothing really. They've, they've won, you know, probably a million dollars or more, you know. So I guess it all comes around back, you know. So I, I do remember right. they had these two giant um, champagne bottles on the bar. And I'm standing there and two guys come over there and they grab the two bottles and they shake it up like crazy and, and pull the corks and wet, wet everybody at the bar. And I'm looking at the owner. I forget his name. Um, anyway, he, I said to him, that's crazy. Do you allow that? This is, it's going on their tab. There's $30,000 for a bottle. <laughs> I said, that's crazy. And, and within 10 seconds, those two bottles were gone. They just sprayed everybody. Talk about wasting some money. Wow, man. Yeah, that's a whole different that's a whole different echelon of money than uh, most fishermen will ever experience. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. That's that's crazy. Yeah. Let me ask you something. Yeah. Going into the art world and uh and, and I mean it, it, I mean you're a fisherman obviously, but you you know I, you're really well known for your art. What what had what what do you wish you had known going into the art world that you didn't know when you started? Well, uh, you know, I, I tell you what, I, I'm living such a good life from it, and it's not from making any money. It's from it's from the people I meet on my travels, and I, I'm basically making a living from fishing, you know, and having fun. Um, how how my tournaments work is I, I get commissioned to go to the tournament and they buy my clothing like um custom shirts for the for the tournament. Then they buy trophies. I, I provide trophies and they actually pay for my airfare, hotel, everything. I get there, I fish, and while I'm fishing I take a, a blank canvas, maybe two, and I do two paintings while I'm there and those guys that have all the money there will spend a bunch of money just buying two paintings so I'm pretty I'm pretty satisfied when I'm leaving there because I just fished the whole week had a great time and I can pay my bills <laughs> well that that's awesome let me ask you this so you have been to all kinds of exotic places what's one place that you never need to go again Biggest fucking shithole you've ever been in your travels. Oh, that would never go to? Yeah, you never have to go back there again. Wow, that's a tough one. I can always tell you my favorite one. Of course, that's Madeira. But... Well, that's what everyone asks, yeah. though. <laughs> um, the last one, um, damn it. Uh, you know what? I haven't been to a place. <laughs> that, that's a shithole. Sorry, sorry for that, but. No, I haven't. No, that's great. I haven't. I'll tell you what. Um, I've been through the whole Caribbean. Okay, I start out from Puerto Rico, St. Thomas, St. Martin, Virgin Island, all, all the BVIs, um, all the way through those little islands, all the way down to Barbados, Trinidad, um, St. Lucia, down to Venezuela, up around Guatemala, Honduras, um, um, Costa Rica, Nicaragua, 
El Salvador, all the way around, go on the West Coast, Cabo, um, <clears throat> come around to Dominican Republic. Um, I tell you, some of the best fishing Virgin Islands, um, Dominican Republic, um, St. Lucia, um, Venezuela was one of my favorites. Venezuela was a shithole after, after um, you know the, the the Chavez thing, but it was the best fishing in the world. I would say, on land, it was wow. bad, but um, I'll tell you where is another place: Guatemala, Casa Vieja, where I go to. It's the, one of the nicest resorts itself, but around it. A lot of poor people. There's no um, tourist kind of thing to do. It's very, very poor people, but they have to fish right there because it's one of the best fishing places in the world. You've been there, right? Have you? Uh, no, I've only passed by. I've never put any time in. I've only commuted by from. I've only commuted by. I've never fished there. Yeah. So some of the worst, some of the slowest fishing have been really on the Atlantic side in. Um, I would say Honduras was very slow. Belize was slow. Um, uh, but then again, you know, everywhere has its slow moments, and then next thing you know, it's red hot. So Cayman Islands, I've been fishing for 30 years, and that can be really slow, and then it can be red hot. They have these banks offshore that go from eight, 10,000 feet up to 90 feet best wahoo fishing in the world uh in jamaica where we fish we have banks all around jamaica best wahoo fishing in the world um i used to take marlin magazine we would catch 60 wahoo a day um all in the 40 to 80 pound range and uh, we got actually got sick of catching wahoo there's so many of them um there was hardly any mahi though it was kind of weird you know all we had was Wahoo. That's a good problem to have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had that. No, they're being uh, depleted. Uh, I don't know. I haven't seen much of them. Uh, on which fish? The Onos? Yeah, the Onos. The, uh, the Wahoo? Yeah. Well, it's interesting because, you know, the fish that we're seeing depleted out here, too, besides the striped marlin, is mahi-mahis. The, the numbers seem to be way down on them, too. They're, they're a concern for me as well. But what about you and your travels? The mahi-mahi yes, numbers I, seem... I, I, Okay, where I you're can at? tell you something that I saw that was is the reason why they're being depleted. I went to um, I go to Ecuador, Salinas, Ecuador, every year, and um, it used to be one of the real hot spots of fishing in 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 the early days, but recently I went there with Fly, and we went to the fish market there, and when we looked outside, there were five hundred pangas coming in every day, long line pangas, bringing in, I mean, I, I've never seen so much mahi being brought in, in my life. Um, but you talk about hammering fishes, that's there's a big problem right there. And this happens every single day. Seven days a week, there's 500 pangas bringing in fishes on long lines. I mean, so bad that I don't think the, um, the the fishery can handle it. Well, it's interesting you would say that because, you know, I follow all the commercial trends because that's a big part of my life yeah. as well. 
And uh, they are starting off this year. The landings down there are the worst they've had, uh, like the worst historical start to the season they've ever had. Their, their landings are are way down compared to what they usually yeah. are. So I, they may be starting yeah, to feel I asked um, the Yacht Club, I said, is there something they can do about it, like the government or anything like that? You know what he said? There's nothing they can do. You know why? Because these people are poor people in the Pangas. And if the government says, hey, you can't do that or whatever, there's going to be a big riot. You know, there's so many poor people trying to feed their families. So you can't right. tell them, no, you got to stop. You, you, we got to limit all this, all these fish, you know? You know, the worst part is about that too, is that the people that are harvesting them, I guarantee you are seeing the least amount of money out of the whole equation. Yeah. From what I heard, um, we have this big grocery store chain called Publix here in Florida. And um, one of the guys says a lot of that goes straight to the grocery stores in, in Florida, um, the mahi. And a lot of it was wasted because it was not on ice and they were piled up. I mean, there was so much fish waste there. It was unbelievable. There's no way I could eat one of those fish. It was so uh, rotten and you could smell, you know, you can just tell right away there's no ice whatsoever. Yeah, I know. It's terrible. That's terrible. That's an go- ongoing problem that I talk about is the imports is just people have no idea. You know, like Bubba Gump Shrimp, that was one. They recently went out of business out oh, here. Oh, okay. But that was one. Yeah, that was one out here where people, they had what they call their Bourbon Street Mai Mai. And what people didn't know was that Mai Mai was coming out of South America prepackaged before it ever got here. They thought they were eating Mai Mai from Hawaii. Wow. Yeah. I yeah. didn't realize that. Yeah, but. You know, you can tell right away when you, you see the, the, the meat becoming mushy. And um, there's so much waste. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it's really yeah. sad. Um, what, uh, you know, what was the biggest failure you've had in your career? And what did you learn from it? Failure? Yeah, what was the well, biggest failure you've had? And what, what did you um, learn from it? <laughs> I don't mean to say it, but. You know, when you go into business, it's best not to go with any um, people that are your friend. You think you're friends with, <laughs> you know, you know. Um, it, it, I, I made a big mistake with, um, you know, that person I went to biz- in business with, and you find out the hard way. You know, you know. I waited. I stayed there for like several years, waiting, waiting for something successful, and really, it, you know, it kind of held me up. And um, I was trying to be patient, and I, in the end, I just had to get out, get away from it, and be on my own. You know, um, <clears throat> if not, I would have been. Not that I wanted to be wealthy, you know. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not wealthy, but I'm enjoying my life, and really, money doesn't make you happy because I have a lot of my <clears throat> wealthy friends that are, I'm living a better life than they are. <laughs> You know, I, I would agree with that. I've taken out some people. I won't drop any names here, but the guy had almost all the money in the world. And one day I hear, heard that he took his life and I was really sad to hear that. I just it just goes to show you that guy could have literally bought anything on earth, but he just couldn't buy happiness. You know, yeah, that, yeah. that was always heartbreaking to me. So a lot of my wealthy friends that, that, that they come to me and they said, wow, you're living a good life. And I go, wow. I don't need money then, I guess. 
<laughs> it's, it's how you live your life. No, there's a lot to be said. So, so what was the biggest lesson there? Is that just believe in yourself or what's the biggest lesson then? You know, um, well, I'm, I'm a little different because I'm gifted. I, you know, I was born with a gift and really if, you know, I feel sorry for people that, you know, they don't have a job and they, uh, they can't pay their rent. Well, I have a, a gift or a talent that I can actually make money out of here. If I, if I write out of money, I could go, oh, let me go paint a few paintings and make some money, you know. Um, not everybody can do that. So I, I'm, I'm very blessed that I have this talent, you know, um, that I was born with. And um, <clears throat> that's why I, I do a lot of um, charity work. I do. I, I give away a lot of my art. I, I, I donate a lot of stuff because you know I, I I have the talent. I was born with it, and I got to give back. You know, um, especially charities. You know, um, people that have cancer, kids, um, environmental, like the, the Billfish Foundation. I, I enjoy what they do for the Billfish and and things like that. You know, we got to all give back. You know. That is absolutely beautiful. Who has been the most influential person in your life, both in art and fishing? Uh, oh, that's a tough one. Let's see. In my life. Hmm. Well, art and vision, you said? Uh, art and fishing. Oh, art and fishing. Art and wow. fishing, yeah. So it's hard to say art because nobody really – taught me how to do it but I have no specific captain but you know what uh, boy that, that, that's a really really tough one a lot of people will say who, who are your favorite islands I said every single one is my favorite you know why because I have different friends in every single island that I made friends with and no one is above anybody else and um, some of the captains that I've met through my life are just inspired me have taught me and i wouldn't put any of them above anybody else i just say through my life just all the, the really great captains that i've met um you know we re recently had chris sheeter who passed away you know i've known him for like 30 years and when he had roddy hamlin you had um <clears throat> a lot of these are people are coming and going you know and um but there's still, you know, good memories of them, you know? Without a doubt. You just named some legends in that list there, yeah. too. And in, in, in the fishing, in the art world, I really made myself. I, I, nobody really inspired me. The fishing, fishing inspired me. And, um, yeah, I, in the art world, really, I just made, did it by myself, you know? Um, nobody taught me nobody inspired me i just did it by myself let me ask you this then self-made how do you deal with critics and haters in your business i mean I, any business you run into some asshole along the way how do you handle that um like on social media if you ever saw how these people handle that girl that killed the shark wow it's haters they're threatening death threats so a lot of times I get on my uh, page, tree huggers, and I, I kind of ignore them. 
because I I have a fishing page. So all the guys that are on my page are my supporters, and they're fishermen. <clears throat> but the moment you get like one of those PETA people or the, you know, the um, what do you call it, Oceana or whatever, you know, they, they oh, why are you hurting the fish? Why are you doing this? What? They're, they're all a bunch of hypocrites. You know why? Because they're eating meat, eating fish, but they're pointing fingers at you. And I just I'll ignore them because I know they're hypocrites, you know? I agree. Now, we're getting towards the end of the interview. I'm sure that you probably want to go to sleep. So I'm going to ask you a couple quicker yeah. questions. And, and uh, okay, you're shipwrecked, you're shipwrecked on a tropical island. You can have three people and three items. What are you taking with you? Three people and three items? <laughs> yep. Shipwrecked. Uh, three people and three items. Well, well I wouldn't mind three good-looking women, you know? <laughs> and then, uh, Sounds like a good call to me. <laughs> and then three items. What's three items? Else? Let's see now. Uh, I probably have a, um, my fishing gear, fishing line, a fishing hook, <laughs> and um, a knife. <laughs> Those three things. Perfect. Good yeah. choice. Uh, who has better looking women, East Coast or West Coast? Wow. Okay. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's a tough one. East Coast or West Coast? Hmm. Let me see. So, Kevin, you see my Facebook page. So, um, you see, you see the women. You... Well, no, I'm not. I'm not trying to burn your spot here. I'm not trying to burn your spot here. I realize you probably have a girl in every port. Well, so I'm no, not trying well, to burn you know, here. It's a generic opposite question. Track. So people look at me like, "Oh, wait a second, he's Asian." I says, "Well, opposite of track." So what do you think? <laughs> I um, uh, most of the girls you see me are uh, blonde here, tall and blonde, right? <laughs> um, you know, I haven't spent a lot of time on the West Coast, but. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna say East because I'm you know I'm here most of the time and I'm you know in Central America and, and and the East Coast here, so I haven't spent a lot of time on the West the West. Even though I was born in California, <laughs> I haven't spent a lot of time there. You know, fair enough. F- favorite whiskey? Fra- oh well, I'm a vodka drinker. And by the way, I have my own vodka coming out now. And um, my oh, let's hear yeah, about that. I'm I'm, I'm partnering with the uh, Bush family. The original Anheuser Bush, and we're going to have our own um, fishing liquor. It's going to have my art on the bottle, and we actually just debuted it. I'm not sure if you saw it on the social media, but um, uh, I didn't. What, uh, what's well, it called? We we, um, we did a tournament, and um, it, we just made a sample bottle. We call it Flybridge at first, but we actually just just decided. To make some new names out of stuff, and we we did use some Bahama names of some of those islands like Abaco, or you know different different islands. Um, but that's everything is is coming up. You know, it's it's going to be later on. So every everybody follows me on my on my page, they'll see um, all this new stuff I'm doing: the clothing, the liquor. Um, we got belts, we got lures. I got. New lures um, with Magbe lures, um, all kinds of stuff going on. Really good. So I'll be able to fish now, and all I do is get a check when I get back. 
That is the definition of living the dream. That's my, my retirement. Best bar in the world. Best bar. Wow. Wow. As far as what? Is there any, anything uh, that makes it the best or not just? That's the question I'm asking okay, you, well, my friend. I'll tell you what. It doesn't have to be a big bar, but one of my favorite is one. There's one in Madeira that I go to. And it's very, very small. It's called Pukiki. P-U-K-K-I-K-I. Pukiki Bar. And it's after Hawaii. But they brought it to Madeira. And inside is a Hawaiian theme. They got the girl in her, 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 you know, Hawaiian outfit with the rose in her hair and everything. And and laid. And the drinks that she makes is like, like an artist made the drinks. You know, um, one of my favorite big, very small bar, very quiet, very quaint, beautiful, Pukiki Bar. That's the name of it in Madeira. Awesome. We'll have to check that out. Okay. Best strip club in the world. Best strip club? Yeah, well, best strip club in the world. Let's see now. Uh, my house. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You know, you know Fair what? Um, I, I gotta I... tell you the truth. I, I don't really. I, I I go to strip bars, but only when my friends say, "Hey, let's go have a drink." But otherwise, I I don't have no problem with strippers, people stripping here in my house. <laughs> Sounds like you are living life yes, properly, I, my friend. Um... I I already probably know the answer to this: blondes or brunette. I'm sorry. Blonde or brunette? Uh. Both. Was, well, was here's the it, thing. A lot of people see me with blondes, but it's the opposite way. I think. I think there are blondes are attracted to me, <laughs> but otherwise, you know, good-looking woman is a good-looking woman. You know, <laughs> either way, for me. Fair enough. How about this? Redheads, all crazy, or just ninety percent of them? Jeez, uh, I, I dated a couple of rednecks, but uh, red, not rednecks, but red. Redheads and rednecks. Um, I can't <laughs> tell you. None of them went wacko on me. <laughs> None of them went wacko. So that would be just 90% Probably. then? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, you tried to dodge this question earlier, but I'm not going to yes. let you get away with it. Your arm wrestling guy, Harvey, who wins? Me. <laughs> me. <laughs> Is it close, or you just beat him totally flat out? <laughs> well, he's he's a lot he's a lot taller than me. I think he's like six something, but um, he's getting older. So, I guess what I think I think I have a little bit more power. You think yeah. you got him? Okay, I kind of would have bet on you too, to be honest. <laughs> you know, um, favorite quote about art? Quote about art? Yep. Uh Well, the funny thing is that my art and regular art are completely different. Um, I would say, in my own saying, is that the vision of art is what you see in real life. Yes, that's that's awesome. That's what I would say. I like that. I love that. Okay. How about your favorite quote about fishing? It's it's not about the fish you catch. It's about the ride. 
Ooh, I like that too. All right. Final question before I ask people, before, before you tell people where you can find you and everything, you got an inspiring artist and an inspiring fisherman, yes. right? What are, what, what are some inspiring words for these people, uh, for the future fishermen, future artists? What can you say? What are the most inspiring words that keep them on track? Um, well, well, let's see about life. Really life is, um, don't work, don't work too hard. Um, because a lot of, I've had a lot of friends that, um, work most of their life and wanted to go fishing, but at the end, they, um, they were just, they got too old and too tired and they, they gave up the fishing. So leave some fishing in between in, in your life and, um, enjoy it while you can, but just don't work too hard and, and just enjoy it. Enjoy yourself. Awesome. I love it, man. Uh, anything you want to share with the people before we go? No, I'm just, um, you know, other than, you know, what I've just told you about, you know, I'm, I'm just living the, the good life. Um, I would say that um, the life goal is to travel and see the world if you can. Um, the, the more places, there's not enough time for me to see the whole what I need to see. I'm, I'm just floored by everything when I go to a new place, making new friends and going to new places. Awesome. Okay, my friend, this has been amazing. I just can't thank you enough. Please tell the listening audience everywhere they can find yes. you. On my um, social media, if you're on Instagram, it's Art C-A-R-E-Y-C-H-E-N-A-R-T. And my website is scary, C-A-R-E-Y, C-H-E-N dot com. Awesome. And then on Facebook as well, you're Carrie, Carrie Chen, Art. correct? Yeah. Carrie yes. Chen Art. Well, Carrie, I just can't my thank pleasure. you enough. I had a great awesome. talk. Maybe we can get you back on here again. I really appreciate your time. My pleasure. Thank I you so it. much. Enjoy the kids. Mahalo. Mahalo. Thank you. Aloha.